I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Luck has foils and attack positions. Prepare for battle! Autobots, roll out! Get ready, it's your weekly dose of nerd culture. All wings report in. With your crew, Obi-John Kenobi. Hello there. Commander Scott. Nothing amazing about it. I know this ship like the back of my hand. Julian. You tell him I'm coming! And hell's coming with me, you hear? And the Doc. Great Scott! Movies, TV, streaming, video games, comic books, board games, toys, collectibles, cosplay, conventions. If it's happening in the world of geekdom, we're talking about it. So lock and load, bag and board, and roll for initiative. We've got your... Nerd alert! Hello there, it's Obi-John Kenobi, your favorite host in all of podcasting, and welcome to a very special episode of Nerd Alert. Not very special in the way that we're going to tell you about, like, not locking kids in refrigerators or, you know, like a special medical episode. Nothing like that, just very special in that we have a very special guest today to talk about a very special topic today. Uh, if you listen to our Halloween uh, State of the Franchise or, or and or Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kills reviews, you'll know our head honcho of all things Halloween. Um, he's he's putting on a different hat today. Okay, He's putting on a different mask today. He's, he's taking off that Shatner. He's putting on his ghost face. I'd like to welcome to the show, welcome back to the show, our, <clears throat> hold on, senior specialist of all things Scream, ladies and gentlemen, Gritton's here. I like that a lot. I had to refrain from <laughs> wailing just now. That was great. Hi, happy to be here. Very happy and excited to be talking about one of my favorite movies of all time. Top three. You've gotten my top three. Oh, except I wasn't here for Ghostbusters. I'm sorry. Anyway. <laughs> we we could not and would not do this show without you, sir. So thank you for, for joining us. Appreciate it. And by us, I mean me, because it's just the two of us today. Just well, the two good. of us. You're all I. But we're going to give you a breakdown of our thoughts, our questions, our favorite and least favorite and most hated and fanboyish things about the 2022 film called Scream. Not the 1996 film called Scream. We'll do that later at some point. Um this won't be necessarily like the old uh, state of the franchise format, so it's going to be a little bit of review. I'm sure we'll get off on some tangents. I'm sure we'll talk about some of the other movies in the franchise, because how can you? When it's the fifth movie in a franchise, you're going to bring up the other installments. But um, we're mostly here just to review the new film. Uh, so, Grit, why don't you start us off? What were your feelings coming out of the theater? And And I know you've got some history with this. So, actually, let's back up. Let our listeners know your history with the Scream franchise. Oh, uh, I don't, I don't know. You might have to tell me what you're referring to. Um, you mean just as well, far as like, as a fan, first time you saw it. Uh, I mean, you are kind of the go-to guy on the interwebs for screen accurate screen cosplay. Yes, yes, indeed. Go check me out, JCG Cosplay on Instagram. I can make you a robe. 
from Scream. Okay, so I guess going all the way back, <laughs> I got a funny story about Scream. The first one, I was in sixth grade, came out in December of 96. I, I had my first, quote, girlfriend, um, sixth grade girlfriend, whatever stock oh. we can put in. But we were oh. going to the... You guys held hands like, at recess? Uh, I don't even remember when you held hands. She was one of those girls, poor girls. She, like, dated everybody in the class, and it was just my turn. Uh, I oh, suppose. okay. It, well, that was nice of her. Wasn't it, though? A little pity on OJ. <laughs> uh, but I remember Star Wars, the special edition, was out in theaters, and her and the girls wanted to go see Scream, but me and the boys went to go see Star Wars. And so... Uh, I did not see Scream in the theaters in 1996. I caught it on VHS uh, in what would have probably been the spring or summer of 97. So uh, once I saw it, I was hooked. There was something about this movie, and there still is, that just fully separates it. And uh, I remember as soon as I saw it, I got on my bike and I rode uptown to the Balloon Lady gift shop, local novelty shop, and they, of course, had the mask sitting right there on the shelf, and I got one immediately. Um, so, yeah, this was just, it was a completely different type of movie. I think there was something about it being set in, quote, our reality, where people are talking about these movies and that really, you know, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, all these horror movies, the movie about movies. Um, and so... Uh, I think that's part of what really drew me to it. Also, there was the the whole thing with <clears throat> excuse me with Ghostface, and you know anybody could be the killer, and there's something you know cool and scary, and that's you know part of the whole package, and that's part of the reason why they were really excited to be able to find an off the shelf mask is that within this movie, quote in our reality, there's also this mask that is in our reality so uh it was an already established mask that had been around for two or three years by the time uh they got into production but anyway it, it's it's scream was the movie that made me want to become a filmmaker and you know it still does the movie still inspires me in like a lot of ways and so uh i guess there's that i, I you know i could i could go on and on and on but that's that's not nothing yeah, uh, I saw it for the first time in my buddy's basement because we were too young to go see it in theaters. Um, yeah, I, I remember watching the first one, and I, I could be mistaken. I might have seen Halloween prior to this at the same friend's house, but it was one of, if not the first slasher movie I ever saw. Uh, so it had a huge impact on me in that. Uh, I didn't understand all the tropes they were pointing out and whatnot. It'd be years later before I would really take a deep dive into the genre and, and realize how right Scream was. Uh, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed the the murder mystery aspect of it, of who's the killer and, and not knowing and the reveal at the end. And that really tugged, uh, you know, pulled me in. Uh, by the time the second one came out, uh, <laughs> I love that you have a story about a date in sixth grade because the second one, which is actually a side note, my favorite of the series, uh, I saw at one of my first boy girl birthday parties Ooh. and had to have been like seventh, maybe eighth grade. Um, cause it would have been like 97, right? Yeah. That would have been seventh or eighth grade. So I'm there. junior high. I was at a junior high boy girl party. Uh, mm -hmm. so of course we did the thing where, Hey, let's get a scary movie. 
and then Ooh. we can like you know i don't i don't think we even knew what happened we just knew there was some connection with girls and watching scary movies and cool stuff will happen if you do that so we were just like get one and it had just come out on on vhs uh maybe the week before uh, and it was that magical video store I've talked about in previous episodes where I had that permission slip to rent R-rated movies for my dad. So he didn't have to come with me to get them. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that, but that was my, my, it's my, my, uh, awkward date story about screen. Brings, bring the whole generation together. Yep. I love it. But let's okay. So let's spend a little minute. So in '96, when the first one comes out, the slasher genre isn't necessarily dead, but it's on life support. Pretty close. Uh, the, the the slasher era was you know it dominated the '80s, but by the time you get into the early and especially mid '90s, it had kind of puttered out. You know, we'd put out eight, nine Friday the Thirteenth movies uh, by the time Scream came around, and what? five uh nightmare movies because new nightmare Ooh. came out around this there before this yes it, it's you know these franchises have been around a while they'd kind of been played out the the genre it was so cheap and easy to do so many people were making slasher movies uh in the 80s because they knew they could sell them uh as long as you know hey we spent um two hundred thousand dollars on this and we'll get it in circulation at the drive-ins and we'll make our money back and you know it's they were everywhere so the genre as every genre does it has has its time and then it kind of fades away and then you get uh there's there's studies and cool papers you can look at about how like the life cycle of a genre but one of the things you inevitably come around to is in a genre parody of the genre where you're openly mocking the tropes of the genre and then eventually you come into essentially a rebirth of the genre where you've taken those tropes and stereotypes into account and now you've kind of remodeled the genre and it comes out again and scream is really interesting because it is both of those things in one movie mm-hmm. maybe not so much spoofing that's more scary movie but like you said it's the first maybe second i guess you could argue new nightmare it's the first slasher movie set in a world where slasher movies exist and the characters in the movie are aware of the tropes of slasher movies. And we're allowed to have our tongue firmly in our cheek and poke fun at ourselves. And even though the movie doesn't, it's, it's not a parody of itself, but the movie has has no problem, you know, taking the piss out of itself. It has no problem poking fun at itself and kind of deflating itself to be like, hey, yeah, yeah. like we're, we're, we're taking ourselves seriously, but we understand this is still a movie. Um, especially in the sequels uh it it gets a much further down that road uh but we'll get there when we get there but uh it was like you said it was it was new and fresh and it was was that combination of recognizing the tropes and still following a lot of them uh but pointing out yeah yeah we know this is a dumb thing you know never say i'll be right back because you won't be stuff like that uh, but at the same time, it wasn't done in a hateful manner. It wasn't done to be like, oh, these movies are so trash. Let's just make fun of them. It was done in a, yeah, we know. These are kind of formulaic. There's kind of a pattern to them. There's a lot of things that repeat themselves. We get that. We're going to point that out and we're going to have fun with it. So it, it like it invited you in instead of being like looking down on the genre, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Right. Yeah, it was written 
and made with a with a great respect for you know because Kevin Williamson who wrote it he loved he loved slashers like he's he's always said that Halloween was one of his favorite movies and so Scream is very much an homage to Halloween and of course Wes Craven created Nightmare on Elm Street one of the quintessential slashers so it's not you're you're absolutely right it's not done in a hateful way uh, it's an homage but and it, and it's funny you know there's funny parts to these movies and then there's terrifying parts and there's just parts that are freaking awful and and i don't uh uh, it's not good way but you know i I was it was one of my viewings maybe last year i just sat down and and a lot of times i'll just throw it on for background noise i'm working on something or whatever but i sat down and just watched it and you know the opening sequence the famous opening sequence with drew barrymore you know it, it gets to that last bit where this mother, I mean, let's just break this down. Imagine you heard this on a news story. A mother hears her daughter on the phone, obviously in distress. She hears her daughter get attacked and the phone goes dead and she walks outside and she finds her daughter gutted, hanging, hanging from a tree. And I'm like, that is awful. Like, that is just such an awful thing to, to happen. And so it's all very, you know, tongue in cheek. It's very fun. And there's a lot of, you know, jokes in, in, in parts in the movie. But I mean, like, this is just, you know, kind of a yeah. what the, I, I the murder is never presented as fun or funny. It's right. always presented very. This is a serious thing. And, and one thing that still to this day grabs me about that first film is I think that was the most on-screen gore i had ever seen at that point in time and i still forget how hard the the first screen movie goes into the gore Mm -hmm. Um, we'll definitely talk about that when we get to the new film but uh Mm -hmm. like especially that first scene where when 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 ghostface kills the boyfriend strapped to the chair and like just disembowels him i'm like oh shit you can do that in a movie Um, yeah i was like i i don't think i've ever seen anything on that level uh and then a year later, I was watching the Starship Troopers. So, you know, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> full ends of the spectrum of gore on that one. But uh, uh, no, like it. it uh, yeah. When when things get serious, the, the, the movie is shifts gears and it never yeah. presents the the murder of teenagers in a fun or funny or glamorous way. It's like, no, this is like it shit got real now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's just. A well-written movie. I mean, that first one is, I don't know, I, I hold it up as, like I said, it's one of my top three. And I just love it as much now as I did then. It's crazy. It's a very well-crafted film. I, I will I will give it that. If, if you never watched the sequels, the first one is a very well-crafted um it's definitely a slasher movie. I don't want to, I hate people. Well, it's not really a slasher movie because I feel like that like denies it. Like, no, it's absolutely a slasher movie, but it also mm-hmm. leans much more into the murder mystery side of it. Because if you go back to like the original Friday the 13th, they were trying to bring that angle into it of that. You don't know who the killer is till the end. And then obviously with each movie after that and, and the, the thing in most slasher movies is, you know, who the killer is because they're kind of like, larger than life you know jason Voorhees, uh freddy krueger pinhead leatherface they're all these kind of like larger than life they all have like a gimmick or like a gimmicky weapon you know you, you want to devolve that you get to stuff like uh slumber party massacre with the giant drill and like 
uh, um, My Bloody Valentine, where they they wrote it around. Hey, you could put a guy in a minor suit. That'd be a creepy villain for a slash movie. Cool, write that movie. Um, oh. That's kind of the killer you had. And this one, it's like like you pointed out, like they they leaned into the we don't know who the killer is, and the oh. killers when we see him are masked. And they've you know they point this out in the movie itself, but the costume and the masks chosen by the killers. Even when the movie came out, you could go to any Halloween store and buy it off the shelf. Mm-hmm. So there was yeah. like it stripped down that whole like the killer raised up on a like, you know, there, there's some otherworldly kind of serial killer. It's just like, no, like it literally could be anybody. And that right. was at the time something we hadn't really kind of circled back around to. Right. In the slasher genre. For sure. For sure. But so it comes out makes all the money uh kind of like i said you know the 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 embers of the slasher genre were starting to die down and this is the gasoline dump right on top of it because (laughs) the rest of the 90s were defined by everyone trying to be screen yeah we're strictly going to limit ourselves to to the actual screen movies and not because we could do an entire episode and maybe be fun to do (laughs) the best of the worst of the we want to be scream movies from the 90s Look at you, I know what you did last summer. Uh, but a year later, and I did not realize until I was doing research for today, I did not realize how fast Scream 2 came out. But it was a year later, 97? Yep. Damn, yep. they did not waste time. No. <laughs> Scream yeah. 2 hits. Probably not, right? Yeah, yeah. And it, to their credit, uh, brings back a lot of the same people in front of and behind the camera. Wes Craven's back, Kevin Williamson's back. Everybody who survived the first movie is back. Uh, and, and then you look at the rest of the cast they added, and it's kind of like a who's who of like up and coming, about to be huge 90s actors. Uh, Jada Pinkett, before she was Jada Pinkett Smith. Uh, Omar Epps, Timothy Oliphant, your girl, Sarah Michelle Geller, Joshua Jackson, um, Jerry O'Connell. It's like, oh, yeah, like if you were alive in the 90s, like, yeah, the, the, yeah, this, 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 this cast is the 90s. That's it. Um, Absolutely. and it it i love scream too uh and we don't need to spend a whole lot of time on it but it's it's i would say it, and I, you can make an argument it's not as good as the original and in fact the movie itself has the whole sequel argument um <laughs> could it ever be as good as the original well it can't be because it's inherently derivative because it's a sequel to something else and you can debate that fine but at the very least, I think Scream 2 stands toe-to-toe with the original as far as story and character and and doing what you want a sequel to do, which is, oh, that was awesome. Give me more of that, but make it somehow different. Mm-hmm. Like it does that. Yeah. I I mark Scream 2 as the best horror sequel of all time. Um, and that's probably a bold statement. But I, if you say horror sequels, I think, I don't think you can get any better than Scream 2. And I think Scream 2 was a fantastic follow-up to Scream 1. Um, so, yeah, it's it's one of my favorites. And I think that opening sequence where we... There's literally a mirror held up to this audience. And it's like, what is wrong with y'all? Like, you know, there's the, there's the theater scene where we're sitting here watching somebody mm-hmm. get... And... You know, that's first of all, it's on screen and it's, you know, Heather Graham is Casey Becker. And, and so, you know, this actually, in, you know, in the world, it's like, but we're cheering it on. We're wearing the costumes. We're becoming the killers in the theaters. And, you know, even when it's 
literal and actual murder within the movie, we're still cheering. And it's like, it's such a strong meta. I don't know that I've ever seen such a mirror in in front of an audience the way Scream 2's opening sequence did. And it's like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how else to say it except... What's wrong with you? Yeah. Like, why are we sitting here watching and cheering on this murder? Because this is awful. And I don't know. I, I keep saying awful. I, well, so it's bad, but I'm know. with you 100%. And I want to just point and add one more. Like, what I love about it, I agree with everything you just said. And what I think makes it, you know, what dials it to 11 when it's already at a 10 is the movie itself doesn't try to force any message about that on you. It presents it. And it lets you draw your own conclusion from it. It isn't beating you with a message of being like, hey, look how bad you are. Like, there's no character to come along and say, like, oh, wow, how terrible this is. Like, just no, like, it presents it. And you get it or you don't. Right. And nowadays, we can't do that. You know, nowadays, anytime we have a message in a movie, we have to, like, beat you over the head with it to make sure you got it. Uh, (laughs) We have to dumb it down to its most basic level and then beat you over the head with it to make sure you get it. Um, looking at you, the most recent Black Christmas, <clears throat> but uh, oh. yeah, yeah, I'll go there. Uh, but this movie is, like you said, yeah, it it it's that exactly what you said. It's 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 like literally putting a mirror in front of the audience, seem like you guys are cheering this stuff on. What's wrong with you? But it never it never uh, insists upon itself to be like, oh, look at us, we're 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 adding a commentary on society and the way we consume media. It's like no, just like no, it's the opening scene of a horror movie, and you get it or you don't. I agree. So anyway, yeah, I love it's that's the one that I did see in the theater, and I still have nice. my ticket. So. Very nice. Still have my uh, new ticket. So. <laughs> you get those frame, buddy. Oh, it's in a uh, frame. Nice. Yes. <laughs> Along with my original card that I got that I've had in a frame since 1997. Oh. I've always been this way. For better or worse. This is for friends. <laughs> Mine are just in a giant Ziploc bag. I have like every movie stub since like high school. There's I love a lot. It. Yeah. I <laughs> Someday I'm just going to wallpaper an entire wall with all the movie stubs. Yeah, I had to pull it back out to put my 22 tickets in there. So. Well, don't seal it up just yet, man. There might be more coming. Uh, But jump ahead. uh, 2000, we get Scream 3. And this is kind of the beginning of the end. Um, And I know there's a myriad of production issues with this movie about the writer uh, being busy with other projects and not being able to come back and only having um, Ned Campbell for like 20 days or something like that. So it's Scream 3 is not anyone's intended version of Scream 3. It's the best we could do on you know, with the circumstances they were working with, mm-hmm. which is not to say it's not a complete loss. And I, I did rewatch three and four um, before I went and saw the new one because they were the ones I was least familiar with. Um, and it's got some moments. I like the idea of, uh, you know, a slasher movie on a movie set. Uh, because mm-hmm. again, that whole meta uh, movie within a movie, holding up a mirror to yourself kind of thing. Like that's that's an interesting setting for a slasher movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Parker Posey playing the actress who's playing Gail Weathers and the fact that the two of them get partnered up a lot. I forgot about how funny uh, her and, and um, uh, Courtney Cox were playing off each other. That was fun. Um, maybe doesn't belong in a slasher movie, but that was fun. Because uh, 
this one the thing for me is the tone swings wildly between goofy jokes with like Patrick Warburton the bodyguard the birdie yeah. Patrick Warburton the bodyguard I can talk <clears throat> and then you get stuff about especially in the post me too era of producers um gang raping actresses in their secret hidden screening rooms it's like mm-hmm. whoa dude Whoa! Hard left turn. Because uh, I forgot all that stuff was in there. Yeah, ironically, of course, uh, it was a Miramax movie. Miramax, formerly owned by <laughs> the Weinstein brothers. Bob yeah. was more involved in the Scream series than Harvey was, but... Can I pass on this show? <laughs> Never mind, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, moving on. So, that happened. Um, it was no one's favorite movie. Put it in perspective for you. Scream 1 uh, currently has a Rotten Tomato score of 79% fresh. That's both critic and audience, which is rare that they're ever the exact same number. Scream 2, critics liked a little bit more, has an 81%. Audiences, for some reason, only gave it a 57%. That seems way low for me. Um, But you can't argue with this. (laughs) Scream 3, critic score 41, audience score 37%. So pretty steep drop off there. Yeah, and like you said, there was about Scream Three. It had moments, but uh, I, and I blame—I don't want to blame anybody. Scream Three was fine. Was <laughs> nice backpedaling, buddy. <laughs> a Creed executively produced soundtrack. Okay, what else do we need? It right? was. It was very, very two thousand. I love me some Creed back in the day. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not cool. It's too cool to say that I had like three think, Creed out. I think in 2000 it was okay to say you like Creed. That's cool. And in fact, I think in 2000 you could get away with saying, "Hey, have you heard of this band called Creed?" I got you. 22 years later, maybe less so. <laughs> A year later, yeah. I think you could get away with saying that. Right. Yeah, in 2000, I think you were good. <laughs> it should have been better. All right. Anyway, moving on. Scream four. Fast forward 11 years, and we get to yeah. Scream four. Uh, return, Wes Craven. Return, Kevin Williamson. Thank God. Uh, and, and as will become a theme of all these movies, and all the surviving cast of, the, well, most of the surviving cast of the previous film, we get some people. In. Anyway, the big three are back. Um, yeah, the is back. Nev Campbell, Courtney. I can't. I can't talk. Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette. There we go. See it written down in front of me, and I can't say it. Uh, they're all back, and we get a whole new, fresh cast of new faces, um, and we get what is essentially kind of a reboot sequel thing. It's a sequel to the original films. It's got the characters coming back, but it, the focus is starting to shift to a new, younger cast, and we have a lot of cast members who were kind of like fill-ins for previous characters in the first few movies uh but they do some fun things with playing off those dynamics so our our randy uh uh film expert is now uh the cute blonde chick instead of the nerdy dude in his basement although there are nerdy dudes in their basement in the film club um which my high school didn't have a film club did your high school have a film club i feel this movie portrays an inaccurate depiction of high schools that had cool film clubs Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's one of those movie things, like a freaking pool in the gymnasium. Like, that shit's not real. 
Nobody has a film club, and nobody has a pool underneath the gym floor. I don't care what movies tell me. And and who... (laughs) I have to ask this question. That weird-ass webcam um, headphone microphone thing that the one film kid's wearing the entire movie that makes him look like he's Locutus of Borg from Star Trek, was that a real thing? Did I miss that, or did they just make that up for the movie? I think... No... I don't. I don't think it's, especially in 2011, the technology did not exist to stream straight from your head webcam piece. I don't know. Maybe he had it hooked up to his phone, but I don't think you know. 11 years ago, they weren't able to stream consistently like that. I don't think. It just bothers me on a nerdy level. Yeah, because because uh, even in, in 2011, I was like that. That looks made up. But, yeah. Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> Scream 4, your thoughts, sir. Uh, well, Scream 4 and Scream 3 suffered from, you know, going back to the studio. The freaking producers, Bob Weinstein, would not keep his nose out of the freaking movie. And that, that simple fact was the detriment, was part of the detriment, I know, to Scream 3. And definitely to Scream 4. Because Scream 3, your writer's situation was all screwed up. All right, Scream 4, Kevin Williamson is credited as writing the thing. But if you read Kevin's Scream 4 script, it is not what we saw on screen. So at some point, Bob Weinstein decided that he knew better than Kevin Williamson. Despite the fact that Kevin Williamson's Scream 1 script was more or less untouched. It, it went into production. You know, of course, every movie script changes as you're shooting it. But his Scream 1 script was pretty much it. Now, he had an outline at the end of his Scream 1 script for Scream 2. So Scream 2 was already planned. Scream 3 was planned, too, actually. So there was an outline. But what happened in 3 and 4 is the studio got way too involved. Something about the daggone look of Scream 4 irritates the crap out of me. Their DP was shooting in such a weird way. There's this soft lighting or something. I don't know. The overall look of Scream 4. I did not dislike Scream 4, but it's definitely only a rung above Scream 3 for me. Um, there's It was little... more coherent than Scream 3. Yeah, that's true. That don't take much. But and a yeah, lot less absolutely... rapey, so it's got that going for it. Well, that's true, too. I guess there were... <laughs> that's not a high bar to clear, but not at all. But it, 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 one of the things that they're doing. Are we spoiling it or not? No, yeah. we'll go ahead and drop it. Look, we're talking very soon. We're going to be talking about Scream 5, Scream 2022, whatever it's called. And we'll talk about that, too. But um, so if you have not seen the latest Scream film, we're going to talk about it, and we're going to talk about it indiscriminately with spoilers, so we're going to drop shit everywhere. So if you haven't seen it yet, don't listen to this. Um, go see the movie and then come back and listen to this. That's what the show's about. So there you go. There's your spoiler warning. And Very, go. We're going to have a great discussion. So overall, like I said, I didn't dislike Screen 4. They had a giant-ass knife in Screen 4 for some reason. I think it's super cool. <laughs> well, whatever. Uh, the deaths in Screen 4, I remember when... There's a moment, of course, when uh, I think Olivia, the friend across the street that they watched through the uh, through their window getting murdered, was like one of 
the most intense kills in any of the screen movies. And I remember being in the theater and sitting there like, wow, this is something else. Like this is, I had the thought, I said, this ain't your daddy scream movie, which is ironic. The scream was my movie. Yeah, I'm a dad. So anyway, um, I remember that. Now there's a moment where there's a shot of Sydney where she steps back and she sees exactly what's going on. And the, the you know, the music hits. And so there were moments throughout the movie that I'm like, that was awesome. Um, I feel like there's a lot of different bits and pieces that could have been done in a better way. It's hard for me to go back and criticize the work of the late, great Wes Craven, of course, personal hero of mine. Um, so, you know, I ain't trying to come for Wes on screen four, but it is not the strongest entry. So the, but it had its parts for sure. Yeah, so put that back in perspective. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes. And yes, I know Rotten Tomatoes score is not the definitive. Is a movie good or bad metric? I understand that. Um, but it does help give you a kind of understanding of the general feeling of both critics and audiences when it comes to a movie. It's the clearest, easiest way to kind of get that across. So before you get angry about me using Rotten Tomatoes, I get it. That being said, Rotten Tomatoes score currently on screen four. 61% positive critics, 56% rating from viewers, which still seems kind of low, but it's better than Scream 3. So, honestly, I feel like 3% is high. Did you say 63? Uh, 61 from critics, 56 for uh, viewers. That's common folk. I guess. Which Puts it 1% below Scream 2, which I still can't get over. Scream 2 only has a 57% audience score. What movie were you people watching? That's bullshit. Somebody's cooking those books, man. I ain't going to accept that number at all. It's fine. I I, I project it as well. Um, So the movie obviously was hoped to kind of revitalize the franchise, and it it didn't. Um, And I'm not saying it's a bad movie. It, it it was an okay movie. It's got a few interesting new characters. Like you said, it's got some cool moments in it. Um, it brings back the OG cast members. It, it, it kind of ticks all the boxes of what you want, but there's something that's just not cooking. There's just a, some spark is missing. It, it doesn't mm-hmm. quite ignite because it yep. did not. You know, there, there wasn't a Scream 5 in 2012. Uh, right. it, it didn't go over huge. Uh, in fact, it took another 11 years uh, and 30 minutes of this podcast, sorry, <laughs> to get to our main topic today. Uh, well, Scream 2022, uh, not Scream 5. Don't call it Scream 5. Don't call it 5. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> I, saw that that. I saw that. Yeah, this ain't no Fast Scream. and Furious movie. All right. It's not 5 Cream. Which makes me think of like homemade ice cream for some reason. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'd buy that. So here we are, eleven years after Scream Four, and what did you think, buddy? What did I think? Wow. Okay, this is the succinctly reason. in thirty seconds or less, please. What did you think of? Oh. No, I'm joking. joking. <laughs> this is thirty minutes. That's what I think, and it's like a scream movie, so I can sit here and think for days. Um, first time I saw it, as with any of my movies, especially the big ones, it's just so hard for me to digest. It's it's such an overwhelming, you know, Ghostbusters, Halloween, 
Uh, even the Avengers movies, first time I saw them, it, it, you know, it was just, I was awestruck. And the, it was, of course, the exact same as Creed. So I had to go see it again. And I, I think it's fantastic. I really, really dug it. There were, after I got out of it the first time, I guess I was kind of like, well, that was, okay. All right. I, 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 see, I see what we did here. That's fine. But then I got home. I sewed up a couple robes and uh, kind of just really about <laughs> it. Very therapeutic. Um, and I think that, and then of course, you know, you, you pick up on all the teeny tiny little subtleties after when you see it the second time. And the thing that you can tell about this movie is it is made by fans who love the original screen movie. And that's me. I'm a fan who loved the original Scream movie. And so there were moments and there were tidbits and there was this and that that were, and there were so many of them that were kind of just homages to the original Scream, the original trilogy. And what I like about Scream 5 is they didn't uh, retcon any of the sequels out, um, which, you know, Halloween 18 really didn't have much of a choice, honestly. But, you know, some of these other movies are kind of skipping right over the sequels if if that's the case and they didn't do that you know sydney's married to mark kincaid from scream three you know judy hicks is the sheriff she was in scream four um you know all the movies are there there's a little shout out to kirby we we skipped right over kirby um from scream four played by hayden panettiere is that how you say her name close enough for me close enough for me uh she was a fan favorite you know and we we got a little moment in the new movie where we find out that she's actually alive despite the question at the end of screen four so anyway it, it, you can tell that there was a great respect paid um can i ask one question and I, will you be converting your basement or a room in your house into the randy meeks memorial home theater <laughs> no i don't think i will Will you, if I buy you a print of that oil painting of Randy, if <laughs> make the doofiest to... face ever? It was like his high school prom picture or something. It was. It was so <laughs> goofy, and I loved every minute of it. It was so clearly like early '90s, whatever. And yeah, if you know what, if you get me a print of that, I will turn my office into the yes. Randy Meeks film theater. Yes. Dunzo. Now that was the thing that I loved is. Um, you talk about yeah there's there's tons of easter eggs and i know you spotted a lot more than i did um but the thing i liked is it acknowledged the events of the first film in very subtle ways so and i would not call the randy meeks uh memorial home theater subtle uh because it's a giant like three foot by four foot uh oil painting of randy above the fireplace with a, a plaque on the wall uh they, it's pretty in your face you'd have to be like you know be looking your at your phone uh to to miss it uh but there's also some smaller stuff like when we first meet dewey um there's the box on his mantle that has the the nice engrave of of tatum uh finally yeah. acknowledging uh the death of his sister in the first movie which is something fans were kind of upset about because we never acknowledge it in, in, in movies. Um, it, it, little touches like that, that are things that I, I, 
as as doofy as some of them might be, definitely that's that's what you do when a loved one's passes. You find ways to memorialize them and to remember them and keep them in. And the fact that we even went through the trouble of of um, of having those in there, it's not just fan service. It's it's what the people and it helps humanize those characters. Uh, and those are the little touches. Uh, and then I, I did pick up. You'll be proud of me. I did pick up when when um, uh, Sydney name drops Mark uh, is is being her her husband. I was like, oh 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 oh, that's that's that that's McDreamy from Scream Three. I know that. <laughs> it's McDreamy. I saw an article like I, I think I saw it today actually, where Nev Campbell had no idea who Mark was. <laughs> <laughs> she even <laughs> forgot about Scream Three. I don't blame you. As she's doing this press thing, they're like, hey, how cool was it that, you know, you got together with Mark? She's like, oh, is that who that was? Like, she totally missed that. Bless her heart. Love Dev Campbell. That's I will awesome. always. So. But yeah. yeah for... it's, it's, like you said, definitely made by people who, who have love and reverence for the original. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was, that was just very apparent. Um all the way across but i even with this there were things that i kind of wish that would have been done slightly differently i guess um yeah there's some big swings taken by this movie yeah um so one thing that was cool did you catch the red right hand in this yes that's playing on the radio yeah like that was one of those like unofficial themes of you know the the original trilogy and then they dropped it for screen four which i assumed was a licensing rights issue but like even for screen three they nick cave wrote all new lyrics especially for screen or somebody did i don't know it has all new lyrics for the screen three version um so anyway it was cool to see red right hand come back but uh so yeah. I have my notes kind of organized in good, bad um, uh-huh. things. I really like things I didn't like so much. So uh, I'm going to jump with the biggest thing I loved about this movie. Um, uh-huh. And you jump in wherever you want to. And we'll, we'll, we'll just take it from there. We'll just have a conversation. Um, one of my favorite parts about this entire series. And I am so glad the character kept coming back. Because I thought for certain every time, every movie I watch, this is going to be his last. But Dewey in this movie, I fucking loved everything they did with this character. And I do not understand people who are complaining about the, quote, Luke Skywalkering of of Dewey in this movie. And I'm like, I don't, what movie did you guys watch? Like, because you have the, to acknowledge, oh, go ahead, sorry. What do you mean when you say Luke Skywalkering? So there's people on the internet so automatically um, don't believe half of what you hear from them because they're on the internet. And that does include us. Last um, Jedi basically reinvented the entire character of Luke Skywalker to fit the needs of the story that they were telling for that. And the Luke Skywalker presented in Last Jedi bears little to no resemblance of the Luke Skywalker we know from the original trilogy. His optimism is gone. Uh, he's, he's, he's a completely different character. Um mm-hmm. Whether you ascribe to that or not, uh, people that are making the same accusation of Dewey in this movie. And I didn't see that. I still don't see that. Uh, I I see a character who's been allowed because it's five movies and 20 some years into the franchise. Yeah, he's not the same person he was then. 
Mm-hmm. He's been through a lot uh, since the you know since he was the bumbling sheriff deputy in the first movie um that i just learned this week was apparently supposed to die in the first movie um they kept bringing him back because people liked him and then we, we, you know, we anyway in this movie he's a very different dewey he's right. solitary he's alone he's it, arguably the lowest point in his life him and gail's uh marriage has fallen apart and people are upset about that but you know what so are david arquette and courtney cox it would be super awkward to force them to be in love with each other in a movie again when they've gone through a not-so-great divorce in real life. The fact that they had a scene together where they kind of not get back together and patch things up, but they at least kind of talk through what happened, and they have a really good scene together um, when they do finally meet back up with each other. And and oh. some people don't like the reasons for them breaking up, but I think it makes sense. Gail was always more focused on her career than Dewey was. And Dewey trying to make it in the big city, I don't think that's going to work. So no. th- th- that was part of the reason we loved those two as a couple is because they were so polar opposites. They were just like, these two shouldn't work, but they're cute and we like it. Well, guess right. what? If you try to make that relationship work over 20 some years, it probably isn't going to. Someone's going to have to give in that kind of relationship. And, and, and apparently neither one of them was willing to. So it, it fell apart. Fine. But what I love about this is we see Dewey transformed. into Again, he's down on his luck. He's living by himself. He's been, and it's not overtly stated, but he's, he's, he was asked to step down as sheriff. We're never told exactly why, but it's kind of leaning into he maybe started hitting the bottle um, and, and wasn't the same guy anymore. But he's very down on his luck and in kind of a low point. And this comes to him and he he at first rejects. He's like, no, I'm done. I've I've been he gives the he gives the rundown. I've been stabbed nine times. I have permanent nerve damage. Like, I'm not doing this shit again. I'm out. Have fun. I'm done. Uh, but he's Dewey. And he yep. he can't be done. He's he's uh, um, David Arquette has said in, in the promotional material, Dewey just has such a big heart and he sees what's happening happened to these kids again. And he's like, I can do something. I can help. I can do something to stop them. And that's the kick he in the pants he needs to, to get up. And that great shot of him pulling the box down off the shelf. And then, you know, his, his gun and his badge are there. And the next time we see Dewey, he's, I wouldn't you know, not clean shaven, but he's, he's, he's at least taken a shower and put a comb through his hair. Um, <laughs> and the depiction of Dewey in this is the grizzled veteran. He's been through it. He's been there and done that and come back and done it again. Um, so he's fun to see. And his interaction with the new cast is really fun. Like he sits down with, um, and I forget character names, Sam and her right. boyfriend and immediately points out, well, how long have you known your boyfriend? <laughs> how do you know you can trust this guy? Like he just, he, he's so, and it's fun to me. He's so kind of removed from all these people. Like he doesn't really have personal relationships with any of these people. So he just sees everyone as, well, you're a possible suspect. You're a possible suspect. And he's just pointing out all, all the like, the things people should be noticing that they aren't because they're already like connected to these people. Like, well, it can't be them. They're my best friend. It's like, yeah, but do you really know anything about like, he's, he's so great. Uh, the way he just kind of like puts holes in everyone's ideas and, and, and stories and theories. Um, and then we get to see, do we be a fucking badass uh, in the hospital scene, which I'm hoping we can talk about without getting misty eyed. Um, hmm. Because I texted you this in the theater. I was like, I did not expect to get misty-eyed in a Scream movie. But here I am in the theater 
pretending I'm not teary-eyed. Because um, Dewey goes down in this movie, but I think it's a well-earned death. Uh, and I think it it's as good of a death as the character could hope for, especially a character who was supposed to die back in the first movie. Um, he gets that, again, he, he's, he gets to save the day. He gets to save the anti- our protagonist. Um, he gets to finally be the hero he always wanted himself to be back in the first movie when he was kind of like the bumbling deputy. He's come full circle. He's 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 I'll use the Luke Skywalker. He's he's the full Jedi Knight now. He's gone full on Dr. Loomis at this point. Um, and and people argue he makes a dumb decision to turn around and, and go back. And I'm like, no, that's that's him making sure he's been through it enough. He knows if I don't go back and confirm this person's dead, they're not going to be dead. Mm-hmm. It's it's not him being dumb. It's him being like, no, I I've been through this. I know I've got to go back. And you could argue, yeah, he should have put one in the head when he was first firing, but he was in a fight and he, he, adrenaline. And it's a thing. I don't think it makes the character any, any dumber. Um, as soon as he went back and, and it was like, oh, this probably isn't going to go well. And it didn't. But I think, it, again, it's it's he's given a very noble death. And I appreciated that. And his death brings meaning to the rest of the story, because. At this point in the franchise, one of those legacy characters has to die. Those yeah. same three have been coming back for five movies now. One of them's got to go. Or we're never going to believe any of the other ones can go. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I thought they're going to have such plot armor. Uh, it's it's going to be ridiculous. Yeah, huh, that's true. Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought that that they did a great job with Dewey. I mean, you kind of feel bad for Dewey, and you know, he's sitting there watching Gale on on TV, and he's just so giddy with her. He he still he still loves Gale. There's no way around it. Um, Dewey, he's not a big city guy. He's a small town guy, and you know it was no question he was going to end up back in Woodsboro. But the the scene with him and Gale, I that's when I got teary eyed. That's when I messed it up. When I talk to each other and kind of go over because you can tell they both love. I mean, there's there's just love there, and and I'm mm-hmm. sure you know I couldn't listen to that and not also think about David Arquette and Courtney Cox. You know, yeah, yeah, and of course. You know, there's there's still feeling between two people. You have a child, and and it's there's just a connection there. And so I thought that was a brilliant scene between the two of them. It was it was brief enough to where it didn't clog things up, but it was thorough enough to where it kind of gave them some peace. I guess it seemed like it gives um, a sense of closure on the two of them, so you don't feel like there's any kind of unresolved, like oh he never got to tell her he loved her one last time or something like that. Like no, he 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 gets it. He yeah. even gets to have a conversation with Sydney one last time, uh, which I love. <laughs> as soon as he finds out there's murders going on, he immediately calls Sydney, "Hey, don't come to Woodsboro." Yeah, that's what he says to both of them, but neither one of them yeah. listens. Um, yeah. So, and I thought the touch with Tatum was was a beautiful little touch. Did you catch the Courtney Cox scream three bangs uh, joke? I did not. <laughs> no. Hey, yeah. and. It's right before Sam and Richie show up. She's on the news, and you hear her say something about, now let's talk about these bangs. And then it cuts off, right? He answers the door. Huh. And back to her, and she says, if that ever happens again, somebody needs to stage an intervention. So... <laughs> she... 
was pretty good. So nice. Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought they just they did a good job with Dewey, and and part of the thing about this movie is it was so fast paced. I mean, it's just boom, 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 boom. Like once we get into it, there's you don't have really time to take a breath. And one of my favorite things about Scream One is there's a scene that it's right before Sydney falls asleep and there's a shot of she she goes home from school she's watching TV and she sees you know all the news footage or whatever from town and then she sees Gail do the story about her mom and then she like walks around for a minute so anyway she's it's it's a very calm scene but there's a shot with the music of the sunset and to me that's the kind of thing that none of the other screams had was that moment to pause and kind of catch your breath, catch your breath and prepare for kind of what's coming or something. I don't know. There was that moment. And and if I could have had maybe like two of those, that would have been awesome. But the pace of this movie would not have allowed for it. It just wouldn't have happened. It would have hit it. It would have, you know, it would have been a brick wall. So anyway, it, that I'd like to see that more in in whatever we get next. But anyway, um, I forgot where I was going with that. I thought they did a great job. Um, <laughs> um, well, let's talk about the gore uh, because this movie does not pull its punches when it comes to the gore. Oh, really? And, uh, I mean, uh, there were scenes in this where I was just like, "Oh, wow, okay, we're we're right there in front of us." Okay, like the uh, the scene when um, Wes get stabbed up against the door i was like oh shit wow okay yeah um, and i'm assuming that's some combination of cg and uh, uh practical because i mean th- th- this movie did not spare on the blood uh we see bones get broken <laughs> we see knives okay. go through necks like they, they're not holding back that's true something i noticed about this movie see i feel like we had more of that gore from olivia's death i didn't i didn't have that moment where i was like oh my see like exactly what you're talking about i didn't get that in this movie the way i did with scream four with olivia's death so um, one thing i did notice which was very interesting is a lot of times Ghostface's kill style will be very consistent throughout the movies but they're all different ghost faces mm-hmm. literally even in the same movie so mm-hmm. it's not they should all have different kill styles. You know, if I were to stab somebody to death and you were to stab somebody to death, we'd do it in different ways. And, uh, and I think that that's something. Especially when, when you, when you look at the end and reveal who the killers are. Yeah. There should be some pretty big differences between their kill styles. Yeah, exactly. But one thing that I noticed I hadn't seen before was when Judy got killed, first of all, that was a fantastic scene. She did a great job. That whole, like, the tension and the way they're building it up with him inside. There were a few, like, there were maybe, like, two more fake-outs than they should have had, but they faked you out several times. They but... are just fucking with the audience at that point. When, when Yeah, so Judy Hicks has already been killed in the front lawn, and we know the killer's coming for Wes, and Wes is just getting ready for Mom to come home with dinner. And, every, and they're clearly enjoying messing with the audience because every time they can, like, oh, walk by a doorway where it's blacked out. Oh, I'm going to open this fridge, which covers up the whole frame. Like, they're just, you, you know what's coming, and they're just having fun teasing it out. Yeah. 
they did. Yeah, it, 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 it maybe goes a little bit too long, but still, I, I thought that was fun. Yeah, but the way that Judy was Sorry. killed, he stabs her and she falls down, and then he just viciously stabs her over and over and over just in the chest. There was no slicing. There was no gutting. It was angry, repeated, fast stabs, and that is a different type of kill which i hadn't seen before it was just and and and, you know that says something different about the character that's that's doing the killing too so there were some different uh things but yeah the the bones breaking poor jenna ortega got all messed up several times think of the end of the movie (laughs) at a rough time oh well her she's a pin cushion like yeah, yeah yeah pretty much at this point yeah so anyway but yeah the I didn't get that Olivia, like, drop-jawed, like, moment in this one. But uh, but overall, I thought it was very well done. The... I just kept waiting for a cut or something as the knife got closer, and they just kept it on there. I was like, oh, okay, no. Because it, it's it reminded me of that scene at the end of Saving Private Ryan, where it's like he's fight, Wes is fighting against the knife, and the killer is slowly overpowering him. Because it's not just like a quick stab. Like, the knife is just slowly going into his neck. Yeah, that that was particularly brutal, and and you're right they they didn't they didn't catch any break on that one. They put it right there for you to watch the whole thing happen. So it was, also, uh, R.I.P. Judy Hicks. We we barely oh, knew you. Yeah. yeah. Also, how old is Wes supposed to be in this movie? Because it's only eleven years since we saw her last, and that kid's definitely not eleven years old. Well, there's some there's some questions uh, here now. I mean, we didn't. You, you're right. We barely knew Judy. So so, and we only saw her at work, like literally at work. So you know, for her to have a kid is not that big of a stretch. I feel like for Stu to have a sister from Scream One is a little bit more of a stretch. <laughs> uh, where the Stu's sister when he was having a big party with everybody there? You know, like where was mom? Like, did they just take the daughter? on vacation to Europe or some such. You know what I'm saying? Like, that was a bigger... Oh, yeah. That's... I kind of have it in my sort of negative situation, but let's... So, this film seemed to be a little obsessed with having as many characters as possible somehow connected or related to characters from the original movie to the point it felt like they were kind of bending over backwards. Um, mm. characters who were only there for like two scenes are later revealed to be oh that's so and so's nephew and I'm like what does that what did that if that mattered to the plot why are we just now finding out about it right uh, it, it it struck me as almost as out of left field some of them as in Scream 3 when Randy's previously unmentioned sister shows up to deliver a videotape yeah like, oh okay shows up hands over tape leaves but well, they knew they were later in the fifth one. Come on now. They were setting that up 22 years ago. Yeah, I guess. Uh, but props to the directors of this movie for bringing the same actress back to reprise her role uh, as, as Randy's oh, yeah. sister. But so you've got uh, Samantha, who's revealed to be Billy Loomis's illegitimate daughter from high school. Um, Wes, who's the son of Judy uh, uh, Hicks, the sheriff. Uh, Chad and Mindy are the nephew and niece of Randy. Vince is the nephew of Stu. Um, 
Amber lives in, and this one I give him a pass on because I love the reveal of it, but Amber lives in Stu's house from the first yeah. movie. Um, I have that on my, that was cool. The reveal of their location was really well done because um, I didn't well, notice. I wish I could have. I wish I could have experienced it the way you're talking about because I knew good and well where they were. Like, if they had <laughs> at all, if they would have shown me that foyer and nothing else, of course I would have known exactly where we were. But But I also saw where they built pretty much the entire house on a soundstage so so unfortunately i wanted that moment because it was super cool like i saw what they were doing and i'm glad that you got that moment but uh i, I unfortunately missed that but but uh yeah i'm glad that you appreciated it as i knew you i'm glad i could appreciate that for you yes because uh, no it, it, it was when they're they're driving out there and i think you hear sid uh when she punches in the the address or something I'm like oh are you kidding me i'm like oh it's gonna be her house or something like it's, it's gotta be something she's familiar with and i'm and i'm running through my head of like because i didn't re-watch the first movie i was like where where what would be iconic is it the high school no that's a little too on the nose and then they they pull that big reveal that it's not quite a dolly zoom but they they pull out and reveal the front of the house and i'm like oh that's cool they they nailed it with that shot for sure i i, I thought that was great uh, but yeah this movie seemed to be obsessed with everyone has to somehow be related to a previous character even if we never mention that character or it has no real bearing on the movie which yeah. at first i was like oh okay is that just like the mo of the killer because in in scream 2 the first several targets <clears throat> Are people with the same name as people from the original killings? Because it's supposed to be kind of a copycat. So I was like, oh, okay, is this going to be like a thing about remakes of we had to get people who related to the originals because we're remaking it? Is that what we're going with? And they kind of bring that up in their big speech about remakes, but it doesn't ultimately really go anywhere. So it just, I don't know, it felt kind of weird. Yeah, requels. That's your word. That's yeah, what I, yeah. Well, as soon as I saw the new Candyman, I was like, that's a great requel. So I have that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I agree. And it's, I mean, I think that's just one of those suspension of disbelief things that you kind of just got to stretch. Like the character of Vince, I wish that, I mean, we saw the kind of general idea and we get, you know, the idea his uncle's freaking Stumacher and he's going to rough around the edges and um i would have loved to have seen more especially his death um there's a shot from the trailer where like ghostface is standing in the headlights with his arms stretched out that mm -hmm. i don't happen to it but it was a sweet ass shot that did not make the cut unfortunately um but yeah i i agree the the family ties are i mean it is what it is and and i guess billy's illegitimate daughter is fine i mean it's... well that's the only one where the connection to that character has any real payoff like the rest uh -huh. just seem kind of superficial i guess i guess yeah. that's what i'm trying to say yeah I, I i agree um my question was like did he cheat on sid or was it before him and sydney got together because it was not after they got together that's for sure at least i don't think maybe it was at the same party just before sid got there Oh, maybe that's a good idea. Anyway, um, I guess I guess that works. But um, anyway, so yes, yes fair yes. enough. Um, so my 
Well, okay, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll do this first. It's something I'm kind of mixed on, and I'm curious to get your take on it. We, we already just kind of brought it up. But our new protagonist, Sam, uh, is revealed to be the illegitimate daughter of, of um, uh, wow, my mind went blank, Billy Loomis, um, which sort of manifests itself in it, it's explained as it's why she's not in Woodsboro and it's why her and her mom fell out and all that kind of stuff is, you know, she discovered her, her true parentage and it led to the divorce of her parents and she feels bad about that and yada, yada, yada. But what it really boils down to is the return in a way, of a character we haven't seen since the first movie. Your boy Skeet Ulrich is back in this movie. Oh, man. How'd you feel? <sighs> I don't know. I think that says it all. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of ghosts in my screen movie and and the writers have said it's not a ghost it's a hallucination she's you know she's on antipsychotic medication of course she's got a hell of a they do like they mentioned that in dialogue but i feel like we they could have hammered that home with just a shot of her taking her meds yeah um it's it was it was hard to see skeet there kind of in such an in the flesh way um it was cool to see him there but it's i don't know how i feel about that particular aspect of it it definitely um, stretches the suspension of disbelief because uh, right. like you said everything else about these movies in the entire series up until now has been very firmly in the real world i mean it's a little, little meta and that it's it's following the rules of a slasher movie when people are aware of those rules and it always kind of you know it points that out and, and, and it at times makes fun of it and whatnot but it's still like you don't see people doing superhuman shit like in a um, a Friday the Thirteenth movie you know it, it's still very grounded in the reality yeah. and suddenly to have someone seeing what I don't care what they say it is it's the ghost of her father and it really stretches your suspension of disbelief because even if she looked up information about her real father, which is plausible to think she would have. The The version of Billy we're seeing on screen is Billy from the night he died where he still has bloodstains and bullet wounds on his sweater. Why would that be the image in her head of Billy? Well, see, I can... I'll take that. I can... That's I can just lie. there for the fans. Well, so, you know, you, you hear obviously we have to project a lot of assumption about how she handled that and what she did. So it's very possible that she, you know, went and read the freaking Woodsboro murders by Gail Weathers. And she got that Gail was right there in the mix of it. She, I'm sure very accurately described what Billy looked like at that point. And so if you, if if your only identification of your father is that he was a serial killer and that's really all you know about him, then that's how you're going to picture him. So I can get behind that. I'm OK with that, um, that that is her mind's eye. And, and, and that's what she sees in her head when she imagines her father, Billy Loomis, is covered in blood, you know, from head to toe, whatever. I'm cool with that. Um, yeah, it's cool with it because it gives you the tingliest because you remember that from when you were a kid. 
Yes. And I had a shirt that had blood. <laughs> it was a ribbed shirt, exactly like Billy Loomis's, that I got from Old Navy. So, absolutely. Can, would it be in bad taste for us to be billions too at a convention? Not at all. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if you and I are really going to, uh, you know, physically be able to convey that, but I'm sure people will get it. Some, some 90s clothes. Uh, I'll, I'll put some blonde highlights on my tips. There's no well, blonde highlights, Billy or Stu. Get out of here. Well, if I'm trying to be Stu, my hair is not that blonde. So I'm gonna... His hair's not blonde. It's brown. I'm looking at it right now. But you know I got it on right here on my TV. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting sidetracked. Anyway. Uh, anyway. Look square it however you want i still think that's just there because that's how the audience will remember the character and i think it makes no sense if she's going to find anything about her dad it's going to be his yearbook photo or some shit like that um but whatever i get it that's how we remember him um but the only real payoff of seeing the ghost of her dead dad is at the end because the the and i i guess it's supposed to be that's the manifestation of like her darker side pushing her to do bad things and she's trying to resist it and at the end of the movie she finally gets to let loose and and go crazy on this the the scream killer who's her boyfriend and so she goes psycho and and stabs him like 18 million times and that seems to be kind of the only payoff in this movie so i'm not quite sure why we needed that the whole billy thing or just or the scene where she yeah the whole no no, no. the whole point of why is she seeing her dead dad uh seemed just to be the payoff of oh that's why she goes crazy at the end yeah i don't know if you have a different read on that than i do it was cool to see skeet there uh you know with his billy shirt on his billy hair more or less um i could have done without it and i could have and i that the movie would have been stronger without it, honestly. Be- I mean, there's there there are ways to convey what she's got going on, what she has in her head, without just literally giving us a corporeal flesh and blood Skeet Ulrich, Billy Loomis on set. There was another way to do that that I think would have been a little bit stronger. Because I think that kind of, to me, it, it takes me out of it. It's like yeah, and I, if you're gonna take that big of a swing, there had better be some really good payoff for it. Yeah, now I did love her. I don't think the. Oh no, that's cool, but I don't think you needed the ghost of her dead dad to get there. Right, I don't think so either. You you just found out your boyfriend of at least six months uh, has been attacking your sister, uh, and is a creepy internet pedo dude. Uh, I don't think we need any more motivation for her to go ape and stab the dude. Um, I th- again, I think if you're, if you're going to take that big of a swing of her seeing her dead dad, there needs to be some really significant payoff for it, and I don't think we got it. No, I don't think so. Either. But said, maybe that's... Maybe... Go ahead, sorry. No, 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 wait. You, what? No, you finish your thought. Okay. <laughs> maybe that's a seed being planted for further sequels. I don't know. Uh, but in yeah. this movie, I feel the payoff is not quite that much. Yeah. So why'd you call him a pedo, dude? Because he, he was out of Amber? Was that you were going for? 
Yeah, the age difference of him and uh, what's-her-name. And I know the actors are age-appropriate, that's fine. But within the context of the movie, he's at least in his 20s and she's still in high school. She looks young, too. I mean, she's a young-looking actress. She can pull off high school, no problem. I mean, I, I do. It was bugging me the whole time, trying to figure out what I knew her from. So as soon as oh. I got out of the theater, I IMDb'd it. And she's she's one of the Manson uh, family people from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which makes this the second movie I've seen her die by being lit on fire. By fire. Yep, that's exactly what I said. I said, well, she's, she's pretty much the same way she did in uh, <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She's carving herself a really cool niche in, in Hollywood. If you need a, a young actress who can play a psycho who gets lit on fire, she's your girl. That's your girl. I got to tell you, I'm not a fan of her. I think it's just those two characters. I mean, those are the only two things that I know her from. But That's like, all I've seen her into. So. Both movies, I'm like, you know what? Fuck that girl. Like, I don't like her. <laughs> you know, and that's the character. And so maybe if I actress in something else where she's not a little psycho who gets lit on fire, then maybe I'll, I'll change my tone. I'll tell you who I did like. One of my favorite characters in the whole movie, and I've seen her in several things, was uh, uh, Jenna Ortega. Is that her mm-hmm. last name? I, I think she's so. fantastic. I saw her, I think the first time I saw her was in the Babysitter sequel, and then she was on the second season of You, maybe? Um, anyway, I thought she was fantastic. I, as far as the younger actors, I thought she was the best one, and I thought she was far better and I don't know the actress who played Sam, but I thought she was way better. Um, a lot of and... complaints about Sam's kind of wooden acting, and I, I apparently need to go back and rewatch it. I don't remember being, like, super upset about her acting, but she is very low-key for, like, the entire movie. Yeah, there's very little emotion, and I, I'm thinking about this, and I read somewhere somebody was like, yeah, go watch her in XYZ PDQ." And she's, like, way better. And so I'm wondering if it wasn't a directorial choice to make her just shut off from everything. And, like, maybe that's part of the, you know, she's got a family history. Like, her dad was a serial killer. And then her mom turned around and became, or, I'm sorry, her grandma turned around and became a serial killer. So we got two generations of serial killers for her. Yeah. We didn't even talk about that. Um, you know, so maybe that's it. I just, she wasn't super likable and there was just not a lot of emotion. And then I, you know, I think you got Jenna Ortega on the entire other side of the coin from that. And, uh, I thought she was fantastic. Like, give me a scream six. And I think I give me a scream six with Kirby and Tara as the leads and like, let's blow this thing wide open. Let's give us another Yes. Bring back Kirby. We know she's alive. I would also change things up. And they've set up a really interesting dynamic where uh, I forget the character names, but yeah, Jenna Ortega and and Sam, the the older and younger sister, are both kind of the final girl. But we have one who is already kind of leaning towards the, I'll use some Dexter terminology, her dark passenger. Could it be possible in Scream 6 we, we find out that maybe Sister's gone over the edge um, oh. and, and Jenna Ortega is is our final, final girl? I don't know. Like We've set up some interesting dynamics to play with if we get another movie. I think, you know, we're talking about our, our dollar bills here. It's made $89 million 
worldwide first week. I guess th this weekend would be the official second week. And, uh, you know, that's that's over three times its budget. The budget was $24 million. So Yeah, it, know, it hit $35 million opening weekend. So it was already in the profit in one weekend. So Yeah, exactly. So I think it's way safe to say. And I think four did 35 in its entire theatrical run. So, you know, that tells you the difference in what we got going on here. And, you know, I... I think the filmmakers are talented. I think they did a, did a really good job. Oh, one more thing before I forget. I'm going to tell you about my whole entire favorite scene of the entire movie. Okay. And it's one of my favorite scenes of any of the screen movies ever made, including... Now I'm really one. excited. It better be good now. That's the hospital scene. I thought that was... Inc I just thought it was awesome. Because... You see something we've never seen before in any of the Scream movies, and that is, okay, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Of course you know what I'm talking about. This Do we get hospital... killed? Huh? Do we get killed? No, before that. Oh, okay. It... <laughs> okay. Sam's on the phone with Ghostface. Freaking Tara is trying to roll down the hallway as fast as she can. And Ghostface is on the phone with Sam, and we see that. We we have never seen Ghostface from his angle on the phone. You know what I'm saying? Oh, We've yeah, always right. the callee and not the caller. We've never seen Ghostface talking on the phone. And the way that he he's slowly walking behind Tara, and he he knows that he's in full control, and Tara is terrified, and he's talking on the phone, and just the suspense. It was really cool to see Ghostface just stalking behind her slowly. You know, it, 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 that was one of the coolest. And I don't know, the lighting, just the whole deal of that. It's whole a cool scene. scene. Yeah, it's uh, it's great. It, it's classic cat and mouse uh, slasher stuff. Yeah, yeah. And and we don't see the Ghostface side of that a whole lot. Huh. You know, a lot of times I have a phone call with Ghostface and then Ghostface pops out. And he's yeah, exactly. You know, he's he's there's not much of that stalking. You know, he's he's looking in the window. He's doing all this creepy stuff. But you know what I mean? We don't. It is. See yeah, it is a bit more Michael Myers than scream face or ghost face. Sorry. But uh, yeah, it, it is. It was kind of gets the, the wind knocked out of it when you find out it's a high school chick the whole time. Yeah, that was one of my suspension of disbeliefs that really. Get, that's what I was going to mention about scream four is both. <sighs> Roberts and Rory Culkin are like five foot three. Yeah. And Dane Farwell, who played, uh, I don't know who played Ghostface in, in five, uh, but Dane Farwell, who plays, he played Ghostface a lot in the first, he's played him a lot, not every single time, but um, he's like six two or something, you know, or six one maybe. And it's like that juxtaposition, and especially when Dewey gets killed, I cannot force my brain to believe that Amber killed Dewey. Ghostface killed Dewey, like Ghostface. Yeah, as she agglomeration character of all five movies, this being is who killed Dewey, not Bitty Little Amber, who's like physically the way it's staged. Ghostface at that point has two knives and lifts him up off the ground. Right. Yeah, and I, I, and I again, I thought, well, maybe I missed saw that scene and maybe. 
maybe they switched places after Ghostface gets shot or something. Maybe it was maybe it was uh, Randy Quaid's kid, but no, no, that's definitely uh, sorry, Dennis Quaid's kid. Uh, but no, that's it's definitely he's he's on the elevator, so it can't be him. Um, that was, he's that's one of the fanboy theories that there's a third killer in this movie. Is that whole Dewey scene? And well. I mean, she she claims it, of course, at the end. She said, you know, I killed Dewey and now I get to kill you, too, or however she phrased it. She was talking to Gail. But uh, that one's tough for me. See, well, that that leads me to a thing I wanted to bring up. Because I kind of had that same hope at one point. Because I was hoping to see somebody else come back in this movie. Yeah. Why most do? I... Everybody wanted Stu back, and why? Why can't we have th- Matthew Lillard? I think that it's funny because Matthew Lillard has said for so long, he's like, "Dude, I can come back." I saw a clip; he was talking to Skeet. One point, they were doing like a Zoom thing or whatever, and uh, he's like, "You know what? I could survive a TV falling on my head. I'm gonna drop one on my face right now." God, <laughs> I, I love him so much. Honestly, I'm I'm of that. I'm there. I am Team Stu. And it might sound ridiculous, uh, and it feels that way to be just the fanboy that's like, come on, just give this to me, even though it's a stretch to, to believe that, A, Stu survived. Okay, Stu could have survived. I'm fine with that. You know, it, it would probably hurt and probably screw you up a little bit, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the TV fall on your head. Would have killed you, especially not in 1996. Now, one of these 150-pound flat screens, maybe. But the idea that we don't, we haven't discussed that or mentioned that or none of the trio know that, like, that's the stretch. Is that where has he been? How come it hadn't been mentioned? And how come nobody knows about it? You know, that And that's, yeah. It would be so easy, and I look. I legitimately just love Matthew Lillard as a person. He's a fantastic person as an actor. I would love to see him get to be brought back as as Stu, twenty some odd years later, and find out that he did survive, and his face is messed up because he had a TV smashed on it, and he's been in like a mental hospital or something where they've changed his name and admitted him in, admitted him under a different name to make sure people think that the killer is really dead the whole time. Like it's, you know, slasher movie rules. His head's still attached. He's still alive. Yeah. Yeah. And to know you have an actor who's like willing to come back and do that. And for a movie that is so desperately trying to attach itself to the original in any way it can, it felt like I spent the whole movie just waiting for him to pop up. Like, is it going to be now? Is it going to be now? Is it going to be no, No. Okay. Not over at his house. Is it going to be, no, it's not. It's not gonna be like I was just it was very crestfallen because I thought like for sure, like this movie is so trying to tap into anything it can with the original, that's gotta be what's coming. And and no, it's not. Yeah. I, I think I think it would be brilliant. And I think that there are so many brilliant ways to do it. And for him and and Sydney to maybe have some kind of a something, it it can happen. Like in our little fanboy mind's eye, it can happen. Now, whether or not they would ever greenlight something like that, it could happen. And you're right. In a slasher movie, or we just mentioned slasher movie, but, you know, there are bigger suspensions of disbelief than Stu being alive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I believe that. 
way before I believed that freaking Emma Roberts <laughs> you know, stabbed yeah. Artie. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, that's yeah. the shit that's for me. And, you know, I don't want to keep coming back to the Dewey thing, but I would believe Stu being alive before I believe this girl freaking killed Dewey. Like, I'm it, not. Especially biased. in the way we see Dewey get taken out. Right. Um, and that leads me to my other. I was let down by no Stu, but the one thing that still kind of gets me about this movie and keeps me from saying, you know, oh, it's fantastic is it's great up to a point. I think the third act kind of lets the movie down. Because when we finally reveal who the killers are and what their motivation is, it is perhaps the weakest, dumbest motivation of any Scream movie yet. That includes <laughs> Scream 4, which was pretty weak. Scream 4 is pretty weak. I agree. The The motivation was, you know how you mentioned that the opening of Scream 2 held, you know, I said it held a mirror up. And you said that it does it without being kind of in your face about it. And, and it's Preachy, just... Yeah the reveal of the killers was a huge mirror that was being shoved into your face that was like pressing on your head that hurt and that's what the it was just, it was too much it was too aggressive and it was commentary on toxic fandom and i get it and these are the fans who loved the original and they have a passion for it and nobody even cares anymore that's why we have to do this so we give them something to make a good movie out of because the last movie sucked and it's it's literally about fans who who didn't like the movie enough and so they literally go start killing people because they didn't like stab eight which if you go on youtube and type in stab eight and grit <laughs> find a damn fine stab eight movie i recommend everybody go check that out immediately grit does your stab eight have a um shiny metallic ghost face mask with matthew lillard and a flamethrower your shit doesn't. That's why the fanboys would have liked it better and they wouldn't have had to go murder people. Time for a remake. Man. I watched my Stab 8 the other day and I was like riveted. I'm not sitting here trying to like pat my own back or whatever, but it's been so long since I've watched it. I'd like threw it on, of course, you know, get in the zone. And I'm like, yeah, we did pretty good though. I ain't trying to lie. But anyway, it's neither here nor there. But, Sorry. Uh, yeah. Motivation of the killers is bad. Motivation of the killers. It is what it is. It was a two in your face. It didn't. It didn't give us anything emotionally. And I think that a that a stew killer would have given us. It, it could have been such a damn amazing finale. Like I, I agree. The, the every fact, other killer has some connection to someone from a previous film and some kind of of deeper motivation other than movies. In, right. in in the first one, it's it's the the revenge on Sydney for her mom, and the second one, it's revenge for what happened to her son, and then the, the third one, it's it, which was weak, was the, oh I've been pulling the strings all along on the mastermind, which was dumb, but okay, it at least attempted to tie it back in, and even in the fourth one, the 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 killer is is it the she's related to Sydney somehow, isn't she? She's like the nephew or sorry the niece or or something, the cousin. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it, it's it's that she, she wants to take the spotlight of the oh I want the attention you get now like there's there's at least some connection and some other motive other than um, movies are bad or scary movies or whatever like yeah you know, it, it's there was something more than just that and this one it's just like no that's all you got 
yeah, there was no there was no emotional connection, you know, to these to these killers or their motive. Really. Um, I agree. It, 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 the attempt to get meta and you know show the audience how toxic they really are was pretty weak, but I think it's funny how it does piss off. It pisses off these toxic. <laughs> like you know, you get up. Member of like twelve screen groups, and you get these people in here bitching and whining, and I'm like, yeah, they're talking about you, dude. Like it's a movie. <laughs> they're talking to you, and yeah. that's clearly why you're upset. Also, the movie was too woke. In case you didn't know, what this woke. movie was too woke. I don't know. I'm trying to rationalize it. The only thing I can think is that there were gay characters in it. And I'm like, that doesn't make a movie woke. That just is. That's just real life. It's just, like, yeah. Uh, that's just how the world is. It's not I a mean, woke. <laughs> that's the only thing I think. I, I I'm trying to rack my brain about what else would be quote woke. Too. The woke. only movie I have ever seen that I would say is too woke, like to the point it detracts from enjoying the movie because it won't stop being woke and being in your face about how woke it is is the newest uh, Black Christmas. Uh, and th that is the only movie I have seen, and, and you know I've seen a few, that I would ever accuse of being too woke. Wow, I don't I really want to... I don't, I, don't, I don't get how you do that with this movie. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying I couldn't bring myself to watch it. It's so far removed from anything Black Christmas. I was like, oh, it's, bad. it's bad. It's bad. I don't mean to trash another movie while we're talking about Scream, but at one point, a person literally dies from toxic masculinity. Well, toxic I'm... masculinity is a sludge. It's a what? thing. It's a it's a physical viscous like mood slime almost. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. A guy dies from toxic. That's how woke that movie is. It's just like, is this supposed oh, to be dear. funny? No, I think this is trying to be serious because I can't take this serious. Anyway. Okay, well, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, if you want a good, bad movie, throw that on. But um, anyway, yeah, I would not call this too woke. Uh, I, don't, and, and I, would, I don't use the term woke, so. Right. But it, it, it has representation. It has not just a bunch of pretty white people. It's, it's not right. a movie made in 1996. Yeah. Where Hollywood only casts, like, former uh, magazine models to be actors. Huh. Yeah. That was something you noticed pretty quick about the first scream. If you watch it, it's like, uh, they know black folk in Woodsboro, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the second movie, but anyway. SNL or Mad TV or someone used to have a sketch uh, called, it was, it was a, a fake um, teen high school romance drama show called Pretty White Kids with Problems. I remember that. Sketch. Yeah, that's I just remember the theme song. Pretty, pretty. Pretty white kids with problems. Every every time I look back at certain movies from the nineties, I'm just like, "Yep, pretty white kids with problems." That's what this movie sure is. That's pretty much it. Oh, oh, uh, a little Easter egg, and I I know you mentioned that uh, that Tara was watching Dawson's Creek. Speaking of nineties and pretty white kids with problems, <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> had very few black folk in it. It was Dawson's Creek. Tara's watching Dawson's Creek, and she just happens to be watching. I had forgotten. My buddy told me. It was the Friday the Thirteenth episode. It was like the Scream riff, you know, because oh, okay. Emily, of course, created Scream Core and created Dawson's Creek semi autobiography. But uh, you know, Scream is huge, so they did a Scream episode on Dawson's Creek, and 
Of course, Scott Foley, who would go on to play Roman in Scream 3. Ooh. Had a little bit part on Dawson's Creek for a few seasons. And in that particular episode, he was the one who was like calling Jen all day long on Friday the 13th to try to creep her out. And that's the episode that Tara was watching in the hospital. And I'm like, of all the episodes, that's fantastic. And that's another one of those things like you can tell the filmmakers are, first of all, they're like our age, of course. And I'm like, well, why are they making a screen movie if we're all the same age? And I'm just sitting here doing my thing. But anyway, there's nothing wrong with my thing. But anyway, I'm like, that was just a, a, a great little throwback that I thought was fantastic. It's the little things, you know. You'll forgive my pun because this is a slasher movie. That's a deep cut. <laughs> it's a deep cut, right? If ever there is one, it's which exact episode of Dawson's Creek they're watching because that's the kind of shit I notice. It's just and that's... that's it. No, I remember texting you like, oh, dude, Dawson's Creek's in this movie. They got your number. And you just texted back with exactly what episode it was. And I was like, yep, I expected nothing less from you, Greg. That's right. That's exactly right. You can't get no Dawson's Creek past me. Nice. Uh, any final thoughts uh, on on Scream 2022? Um, I just want to point a finger at them and say, I don't care. If you hang a lampshade on it, I freaking hate rebootquels when they had the same exact title as the original movie. That's stupid. You can point out how stupid it is within your movie. That doesn't make it less stupid. <laughs> I agree. That doesn't make it okay. It's appreciated that you acknowledge how stupid as hell that is, but that does not make it okay. I fully agree. Oh, man, my final thoughts. I was... <sighs> So, all right, hang on. How do I get into this without talking for another 40 minutes? I thought it was fantastic. I loved it. It, it made me excited about Scream again. Um, whenever I watch Halloween 18 and Kills, it's, it's hard for me to connect it to the 1978 movie. I love them both. I loved 18. I thought they did a great job. To mm-hmm. me, it's hard to consider that a sequel outside okay. of story, right? Because it's just so different. The tone is different. The mask is different. The 78 filmmaking 40 years later is different. And so I love it all, but it's hard for me to connect it. And I was worried that I would have a similar reaction with this because it's going to be different, period. It just is. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's got to be different. If it's just the same thing over and over again, then then it's redundant and you get a little bit of Force Awakens, you know, aftertaste in your mouth. So... It did enough to be different that it was fresh, but there's some, but it, but it still felt like a screen movie by the time I got done with it. And I'm sure part of that is the timelessness of the mask and the, the iconic mask that doesn't change. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that's part of it, of course, seeing the legacy cast members back brought, you know, made it feels like a scream movie but i knew i knew that all the legacy was going to have a smaller part even than in scream 4 but um i thought it all worked um i freaking adore nev campbell i think she is just beautiful she's seems like a sweetheart and um i've talked to her a couple times the second time i 
made an idiot out of myself. Did I tell you about that? I'll tell you about that later. <laughs> We're oh. doing a whole special show about that now. Oh, uh, my Lord. I'll, I'll, it's fine. I'll tell you my pink Power Ranger story. It'll be fun. There we go. We'll have just a <laughs> terrible, embarrassing celebrity encounter story. Yeah, I got a video of mine, and I literally ha- will not watch it. I can't watch it. Anyway. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, those are my final thoughts. I thought Ghostface looked great. I thought, uh, you know, the robe was awesome. It was a little less sparkly than some of the previous robes, which means that I got to find a new fabric uh, along with come up with new patterns. So that's where I am on the 22 robe. But um, the more I think about it, the more I just, I love it. I think it's great. Um, And I, I hope that, I hope we get more. And I don't see, honestly, I don't see why we wouldn't. Um, at this point, and if they got a strong script, if they can bring it. Now, they have said that it wasn't really planned as a, you know, it's not like they were trying to open up a new trilogy or anything. Um, but, I, you know, if movie and they called it, you know, two separate trilogies, I, yeah, whatever, sure, let's do it. I don't know that we need to do, you know, six, seven, and eight or anything like that, but... Um, no, I... Uh... Coming into this, I was in a different spot uh, thinking about Scream, and I was kind of like, let this be it, because the the franchise at this point is so permanently up its own butt about the first movie, and everything has to tie back to that. It's it's There's only so much story you can mine from a story that was only intended to be one movie. But sitting here talking to you about it, and looking at what's on the board, I would kind of really like to see another movie where we have uh, Sam giving into her dark passenger. And if we're going to reveal that Stu is still back and, and if we're going to go back to the well of the first movie one more time and tie it all off, I'm game. Mm -hmm. But if we're going to go back to the well and try to get three more movies out of it, I'm out. Uh, I, I think at this point, tie off the original and take a cue and i can't believe i'm saying this out loud take a cue from the mtv show you've got you've got Ghostface. you can do scream with just Ghostface. you don't have to have woodsboro and dewey and, and sydney and plenty of other horror movies have only had the killer come back and then replace the cast every movie you can make it happen mm-hmm. uh, get some new blood in here because there's only so much you can keep drawing back to that original well. But I think there's I think there's at least one more movie in it. <coughs> so you've you've changed my mind. Uh, I want yeah. one more. Yeah. I want Scream I mean, 2 2024. No, I don't. Please please don't call it that. Somebody said uh, I saw somebody was like, you need to call it Screams to to homage aliens. Oh my like, god, yes. Yes, no. please. Yes. Oh. Screams. What the same? This one mean? needs to be retroactively called the scream. Oh, let's get into the oh. yeah, let's get into the dumb titles we call movies nowadays. Yeah. <sighs> oh, that was irritating. Yep. So yeah, I mean I think I could I don't know how in the freak hell long we've been on here, but I feel like it's been a while, but I also feel like I could sit and talk about Scream for another at least double this, at least one more, however long it's been. I know you did. <laughs> uh, and no, we I, might come, don't forget, you are the <clears throat> senior specialist of all things Scream. And that says <laughs> all things. So it doesn't mean we're done talking Scream. I love it. 
Uh, I need to get business. Uh, so thank you for joining me today, the senior specialist of all things Scream. <laughs> yes, you do. Go you need ahead. two of them because you're also the head honcho of all things Halloween. Hey, um, you need two. Uh, thank you for joining me bud uh i could not have done this episode without you wouldn't have wanted to do this episode without you uh thank you for bringing your insight and your uber fandom uh, and thank you for keeping your uber uber fandom in check and not going on a killing spree to make a better movie i really appreciate that about you that was hard <laughs> a, lot of re- a lot of restraint uh, we all appreciate that um but there you go there's our thoughts on in a nutshell the whole scream franchise um and let me know if you like this episode let me know your thoughts about scream do you think there's more left in the tank should it end uh is this a good way to just tie it all off and and, and ride off into that sunset or should we keep doing it um what slogan should we use to hashtag bring back stew um or where's the stew Uh, i don't know whatever you want to call it let us know in the comments (laughs) we'll talk later (laughs) Uh, and that's fine (laughs) until then this has been your weekly nerd alert